I have a mantra that kind of says that if, if we don't use the privileges that have been given to us, they'll be taken away from us and given to someone else who will make use of them. Man, I love this gospel. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, if we really pay attention and we wonder what Jesus is telling us and communicating about the kingdom of God, the, the time when the, the, the king shall come, the kingdom shall be established, it's kind of hard, man. You have to really, it, it's not easy. Remember, we are in this apocalypse tide, what I like to call and. From the first reading, we have the book of Revelation, and we have those visions, those apocalyptic visions of the kingdom of God that has been instilled. And we have the visions of the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the beings, the cherubim, the angels, the uh, 24 wise and chiefs of the different tribes of the, of, uh, of the world, really, is what it represents, all there adoring the king who's enthroned. They don't really tell you who this king is, right? but it's an apocalyptic vision. It's a vision that is, was uh, given to Christians in a moment of persecution in order to invigorate them and to comfort them, knowing that even though the end may be near and your martyrdom is near, and really this is directed towards the churches that under, uh, underwent martyrdom, that end is near and that kingdom is at hand and you're about to enter it, you will be in that glory. And so we have this narration of a glorious scene for us, it's a little mystical, it's a little odd if we, get, if we get too caught up in the details. But what it is, is this celebration. Oftentimes they say the book of Revelation gets lost in translation. The original book in the Revelation, the Apocalypse, was written in Greek. And in that Greek language, if we can appreciate the original language, is actually a joyful book. It's a book of expectation, of glory, of something that we look forward to. Hollywood and kind of popular uh, uh, culture has made it into this cataclysmic event, this kind of uh, 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 dreadful moment. But if we follow the language and the way it's portrayed in the original book of the Revelation, in the original language, we do get a sense of joy out of this. It's a celebration. It's an eternal banquet, what is being described here. And so as we get to the end of this year and the end of time, the end of this ordinary time, the end of this liturgical cycle, one more time as we start Advent and Advent launches us into a new liturgical year, a new year of prayer as well. This running out of time is a constant theme. We've been hearing it already for a couple of weeks and we'll hear it even more as we approach Christ the King. Christ the King from which all time leads to and from which all time takes off from. And Christ is that nexus of time. This gospel is to be read and thought about in the light of running out of time. And so we hear in, the, in this case that the nobleman who goes off to secure himself a kingship tells us something about the, this nobleman or the Lord in a certain way. who goes to secure the kingship, which means it wasn't his. He took it and he got it. And so we know that this Lord, this, this nobleman that's described in the gospel, is a demanding person. It's a person who gets some things done, who takes what is not his and is able to enforce it. And so he goes off 
and returns with the kingship. And we hear that, well, there was a certain party, perhaps, in that land that didn't want him as king, but se lo tienen que tragar. And the servants to which he leaves the money with, two of them produce something with those talents or with those gold coins. One fails to do so. And knowing that he is this exacting who takes what is not his, even for those who don't want him as king, he will be their king. Well, he says he condemns him with his own actions. He who was too afraid to act, too afraid to risk, and too afraid to respond to the talent or the wealth that was given to him. I have a mantra that kind of says that if, if we don't use the privileges that have been given to us, they'll be taken away from us and given to someone else who will make use of them. We live in a time when this talks a lot against privilege and we're supposed to be ashamed of whatever privilege we have and renounce our privilege. And I preach the opposite, actually. Recognize what privilege we have, what advantage we have, what wealth we have, and use it. Use it for the good it was given to you for. Because if we do not use it for that good, then we bring condemnation upon ourselves. There, I, we experimented with this once in Belen some years ago when I, when I was uh, in, uh, in the school. Uh, the seniors would normally sit in the front, and that was the senior privilege. They would sit in the front row for the assemblies and the mass, and the sixth graders, the newest students, go all the way in the back in the nosebleed section. But we noticed more and more during the year that the seniors in the front row would be falling asleep in front of the celebrant, talking, checking their phones, they were misusing the privilege they had of being in the best seat in the house. And they had continued to appeal to them, the disciplinarians and whatnot, but still, after everyone it was very hard to miss. I was sitting right in front of them, and the front row people were asleep, guy on the phone, the other one talking. They were completely misusing. And so I said, you know what? They've lost their privilege. Why don't they go into the back of the, the, uh, of the at that time it was the, uh, the gym. They go to the back of the gym, where that way they don't distract me at least, and bring the ones who are in the back of the gym, the sixth graders, to the front, those who are quiet and more attentive. And so they did it in that next school mass. The sixth graders got in the front, and you know, they didn't know until the day out. And they kind of was, oh, it's nice. We're sitting here in the front, very attentive, very nice. And the seniors got shuffled to the back, and they were angry. So why, this is disrespect. We're seniors. We're supposed to be in the front. Why do we get sent to the back? And afterwards, in the assembly, I explained, because you're not making use of the privilege that was given to you. It is a privilege to sit in the front and get the best seat and get the best view and be able to hear and follow everything. But if you're not going to use it, there's someone who will be very happy to use it for you, the sixth graders. And they did. So for the rest of the semester, we're going to do this. I wasn't very popular with that senior class. <laughs> but it didn't matter. I was leaving to Rome right after, so <laughs> I could afford it. But I, I, this, this parable reminds me of that many times. If we do not use it, then it will be taken away from us and be given to someone who will use it. As we see here with the other stewards, the other servants that were again given that coin that the uh, one that didn't produce, more was given. And at the end, that cryptic line from Christ, which is very hard and one of the worst or shortest homilies ever heard was on that. I tell you, everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Remember in one homily, one priest would put his hand and goes, I understand how you can say that. How are you going to take away from those who don't have and give more to those who already have? 
when they don't use their privilege, when they don't use the talent that has been given to them, when they don't use the gifts that God has given them, then yes, they will be taken away and they'll be given to someone who does know what to do with it. The Lord is also an exacting Lord. The Lord is also a demanding Lord. And if we do the same with our own people and our own businesses and our own way of life, how much more does the Lord also do it on us? And so in this preparation time, at the end of time, we also have two young men that will be also making that preparation, taking into consideration and seriously the Christian commitment to put those talents to work, to make those talents multiply and not stay with them in fear and present to the Lord the same talent that they gave, that the Lord gave them when they were born. No, our life as agrupados, as congregantes, is a way of multiplying that talent. And let us continue to do so for the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.